All right. How's everybody doing? Yeah. Good. Well, James was like, say, some, say hi to somebody you haven't said hi to yet. And everybody just turned and talked to the person they were sitting next to. So either, either we hadn't said hi to the person we're sitting next to or uh, we're just not listening to what James said. Both are a shame. Both are a shame. Sorry, James, you did your best. I love you. It's not your fault. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, so um, tonight we're going to be talking about the Garden of Eden, which is shocking to all of you, I know, because I've been teaching out of the Garden of Eden for like ever now, um, but I think it'd be fun. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see what the Lord does with it. So uh, you want to hear a fun story, right? Uh, really fun story, right? So uh, I teach my children to be like critical thinkers, right? That, that's something that's really important to me is that my kids are problem solvers, right? I, I, I highly value that. You know what I'm talking about? Like they can think outside of the box, they can, they can pivot, they can move, they can think on their feet and solve problems, right? So one time, my wife and I uh, were making dinner for the kids, and this is when Finnegan, my oldest daughter, and Donald, my oldest son, were, were little, right? And uh, they wanted to watch a show. We only had two kids at that time, so it was a long time ago. Um, but they, they wanted to watch a show, right? And um, so my wife and I are, are dialoguing with them, right? And if you know my son Donald at all... Um, he gets talked about a lot because he's such a strong personality, right? Uh, if, if you know Donald at all, you know that you don't tell him what to do, you negotiate on what to do. You know what I'm talking about? So, so we're like navigating the conversation, and he's like, I want to watch a show with dinner. And I'm like, no, we're not going to watch a show tonight. And he's like, well, why not? I was like, well, the first reason that came to my, ha- my mind was we are eating at the table tonight, right? At this time, the kids had their own little like kitty table, right? It was small, kind of sat in the corner, and, and it kept our nice table from getting disgusting, right? So it was really nice. So we're like, no, we're all going to sit at our table tonight, okay? And then my wife and I go into the kitchen to prepare the food. We're like making the plates, and we hear this dragging sound, right? We hear like furniture being rearranged, okay? And then I walk in there, and I see Donald is dragging the table, the kid table, across the room and into the living room where the TV is, right? And I'm like, Donald, what are you doing? And he said, you said that we have to sit at the table, right? He problem solved, right? He, he took something that I was like, hey, this will help you in life, and he used it against me like a little monster, right? I remember walking into the kitchen, I'm like, babe, I just got outsmarted by a two-year-old. Like, what do we do? And she's like, I don't know, we're raising an evil genius, right? Remember another time I was trying to teach him a lesson about earning money, right? He really wanted to buy a fidget spinner. This was back in the Czech Republic. Fidget spinners were all the rage in the Czech Republic in 2016, let me tell you, you know? And I'm like, I'm not spending a dime on that. I'm, I'm not buying one of those, right? I'm just, I'm a grumpy old man, and those things are new and weird, and I hate them, right? And so I was just like, no, we're not buying those, you know? And you know how important fidget spinners are, right? Y'all grew up, right? You remember those were the bomb, right? Yeah. It, just admit it, you had one. Come on. You know you did. All right. So my son really wanted one. And uh, I'm like, I'm not spending a dime. I was like, I'm not going to buy that for, for you, but you can buy that yourself. And he's like, but dad, how am I going to get money? And I was like, you can do extra chores around the house to earn money, right? So I'm only paying that kid a quarter. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't get allowance from me. You earn your money. You don't get money just for living. That's not for existence. That's not how I work, right? 
By the sweat of your brow, you're going to earn money. So I have like little five-year-old Donald like scrubbing baseboards and stuff for a quarter, you know. That kid earns enough money to buy a fidget spinner, right? And I'm like, good lesson. I even posted about it on Facebook. I was so proud of him, right? Good job, son. And then a light went off in his head, right? And now that kid hustles, right? He earns money all the time, and he has bought like three iPads, Do you understand how hard it is to limit a child's media intake when he owns his own media company? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? He's like getting his brothers and sisters to do favors for him. You know, he's like, I'll let you watch this iPad for 15 minutes if you clean my room. You know, and they're all like, okay, you know. He took something that I gave him, a work ethic and an idea to save money, and that little monster turned it against me. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Isn't that crazy? Like, I'm sure there's been times in your life where you have helped someone along with something or given someone a gift and they turn and use it against you, right? Sometimes it's not as innocuous as just like being able to afford an iPad when you're eight, you know? The kid's weird. We're all going to end up working for him one day. The next Jeff Bezos or something. We'll see. Anyway. um, No, I love my son. I'm so proud of him for applying that, even though it was to my detriment sometimes, you know? So, likewise, the Lord gives us gifts sometimes, right? In fact, all the time. And yet, sometimes we don't use them the way He intended. So, we're going to kind of take a a more scaled-back view of Genesis, and we're going to see how the story kind of unfolds, and then hopefully draw out an application for us. Yeah? Sound good? All right, if you're with me, say right on. There we are. That's what I'm talking about. Come on, shout down the preacher. You know what I'm saying? Let's do it. Anyway, let's pray before we, jo- we jump into this, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we love you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come in and be with us. Lord, we want to hear from you tonight. God, I pray that you would help me speak well, Lord, so that I don't get in the way of your message. Father, we, um, we love you and we trust you. And we want you to be the king of our hearts and minds. So come and change what you need to change. In your name we pray, amen. So, in Genesis chapter 2, right, verse 8 and 9, we have this introduction of this setting where the rest of the kind of Genesis narrative will kind of kick off, right? And so, it reads, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Right? So here we have God providing for man. It's pretty cool. He's he's giving man a gift. Right? And that gift is called provision. Right? Provision. So God has put trees in the garden for provision. So the first time that we see trees, it's linked to this idea of God providing. Does that make sense? And he provides in more ways, right? He, he doesn't just provide with food, but he also provides with some more, let's say, esoteric needs. Because the trees are also beautiful. They're not just useful, they're beautiful. You tracking? Right? In Matthew chapter 6, like... Jesus is reaffirming this idea that God gives us gifts that sustain us, 
right? That God sees our need and he meets it. When he says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Right? Jesus is just like, hey, look, all these things are going to be provided for. God knows what you need. He's going to provide it. And we see that right at the onset of the whole book of the Bible, right? That God recognizes needs, and he's meeting them, right? He's providing for us, right? But this doesn't always mean material provision, right? Because there's beauty in the garden, too. Another time in, in the narrative, we, we read just a couple verses down, and we see that God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So God then provides to meet a need. Right? He creates Eve, which provides Adam with two things. Well, lots of things, but there's two main ones. Right? Community. He gives Adam community. He gives Adam a chance to be a part of a body, to be part of something that is bigger than himself. Do you see that? All of a sudden, Adam's world isn't just Adam. It's Adam and Eve. Right? Some of the loneliest times in life is when you feel like your world is small. And what a terrible curse to only have a world filled with you. Right? Like, it makes me think of the holidays, you know, when, when you have the family get-togethers and, you know, you have to avoid the weird uncle that won't stop yelling about politics, you know. But it's fine. Your heart's so full because you're surrounded by everybody that you love. Does that make sense? Our lives are enriched by community because it means that we're a part of something outside of ourselves. And the meaning to life is so much bigger than just us. And then Eve also provides for Adam affirmation. This one's super important, right? We have a need for affirmation. What affirmation is, is people around us, like, spurring us on to be better versions of ourselves. How many times have you made, like, dingus decisions, and you're like, oh, why did I do that? You know what I mean? Like, why did I go back for that third Cinnabon at Whataburger? That was so stupid, right? But then you have a friend that's like, no, nah, bro, you've had two. You will die. <laughs> you've had Taco Bell four times this week. Don't do a fifth. Your colon will hate you. That one was for Ryan. <laughs> right? You have people not just stopping you from doing dumb things, but also affirming you, you know? Like, I encouraged my son Donald, hey, great job saving money. Okay, fine, I'll buy an iPad, whatever. You know, like, that affirmation, we need it. It keeps us from being dumb, and then it also encourages us to be a better version of ourselves than what we are now. And then God just being wise, right? He knows that we need to plug into something. In the Eden narrative, it's, it's called the, the tree of life. We need something to, to well up within us. Jesus says it like this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We, we have a need to be con- connected to, the, the vine, to divine beings, right? Sorry, Keith Green, he's this musician, Christian musician that lived back in the 80s. He's, he had a song that said, uh, he is divine and you are the branches. And that's all I can think of when I read this verse. Right? But we need to be plugged into God. A part of that is worship. The act of worship, right? And I'm not just talking about like what we do when we sing and play instruments, you know? I'm talking about real worship. Like the root of the word is worth-ship, where you're giving worth and worthiness to something. God knows that we, we have this central need in our lives to worship something. And he provides himself because he knows he is the only thing worthy of our lives. You see that? Isn't that gracious of him? We don't have to waste our lives on, on dumb things. And then prayer. You know one of the greatest needs in humanity is? The greatest need that you feel deep down in your soul is for somebody to be there. Just simply someone to be there, to be next to you, to walk through life with you. So God, through prayer, gives himself to us as that faithful friend that never abandons us. He's always there. He knows we have these needs and he provides them. Am I going too fast? Y'all tracking? So we have this perfect garden setting where he's providing materially and immaterially. He's giving us the sustenance to sustain our life, but he's also giving us what we need to make our life beautiful and make our life worth living, which is pretty crazy. But then as we continue through the Eden narrative, we see that the next time trees are mentioned, it's mentioned in a negative light, temptation. The very provision that God gave to us became the thing by which we were tempted. Adam and Eve had trees that were good for food and pleasing to the eye. But then we read in Genesis chapter 3, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So those two reasons that God God gave trees to Adam and Eve became the very two reasons by which they were tempted. You see that? This book, I mean, the Bible is pretty incredible, guys. You should really read it sometime. It's, It's fantastic. Two stars. Five stars. They were attracted to the fruit. They, they desired wisdom. They were attracted by the beauty. They saw that it was good for food. Are these things inherently wrong? No, they're not. The seeking of wisdom isn't inherently wrong. Stuff being good for food isn't inherently wrong. Being pleased and attracted to beauty is not inherently wrong. 
In fact, it's so right that the Bible talks about it all the time. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I mean, heck, the whole book of Proverbs is pretty much like, hey, you guys should be wise and not stupid. There's the Scroggins paraphrase. You're welcome. We read also in the story of Genesis that that the serpent, like, tempts Adam and Eve with the idea of being more like God. He says, if you eat this fruit, you shall be like God. But that's exactly what God wanted. You ever think about that? Right? We're created in God's image. After his likeness. We look like him, and we're made to act like him. How much more like God can you be? But the very gifts and blessings of God were turned into the temptations. Things were perverted and twisted, right? And we know that it was God's goal all along for us to look and act like him. I mean, Paul alludes to this in Romans chapter 8. I mean, verse 29, he really just brings it home. He says, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We always were supposed to be like Jesus. We were always supposed to be like God, and yet the serpent is here tempting us with that very promise. Adam and Eve then give in to temptation. They eat the fruit and then discover not only are they less like God now, but they're less like themselves, and they hide from one another. And this temptation begins to break us down. Because what it does is it is exactly what Jonathan talked about last week, where we begin to value the gifts over the giver. Adam and Eve valued the food that it could give them. They valued the wisdom that they would gain. They valued the beauty that they saw above the person that made the tree. They wanted it on their own terms. They wanted it now. And we can do that very thing with the gifts that God provides us. So let's look at some of those gifts that we talked about. With community. You see how community can easily become a temptation. Where we value just being together above the purpose of seeking God together. We're not just meant to hang out. We're meant to go somewhere together. But when community, when the gift becomes the very thing that we seek and not the giver himself, then we lose its purpose and it becomes pointless and banal and stupid. Affirmation. Sometimes we're tempted through the, the, the need for affirmation because we, we act in ways that people approve of instead of acting in ways that God approves of. My group, my circle, they, they like it when I say these things. Or, you know, I'm a pastor, so I'm like legally required to say this. Social media. I'm going to post this hot take 
because I know I'll get lots of likes or whatever. Or maybe worship. Maybe in worship, instead of seeking God, we seek to replicate the feeling of God's presence, but not His actual presence. I'm going after a feeling. But in the words of those poets of the anthem rock period, journey, God is more than a feeling. Slow burn. It's slow burn. You'll get it later. I mean, prayer. You pray because you actually want to connect with your Father in heaven? Because you want to spend time with your faithful friend? Or do you pray so that you can feel spiritually ready for the day? Or do you pray to show everyone how mature you are? You pray because that's what Christians do. You pray. And all of a sudden you've taken that gift and you've destroyed the very purpose for which it exists. Does that make sense? And I know that that point is just a rehash of what Jonathan said last week. And and if you weren't with us last week... It's on YouTube. You can watch it. Uh, That was probably one of the more powerful sermons I've ever heard. Incredible. But I want to take it one step further. Later, after man falls, after Adam and Eve tell God to stick it in his ear, God is walking and he's looking for them. And it says in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. See, they, they had taken something that God had meant for provision, and they had perverted it and twisted it through temptation and, and ripped out all of its meaning. And then when God came to reconcile, they used it to hide from him. They used the very gifts that he gave them to bless them, to distance themselves from not just him, but from each other. And this is where we take those gifts and turn them into weapons. A couple things to note here is that the phrase, the sound of the Lord, the Hebrew is the voice of the Lord. They heard God calling, where are you? Also in Hebrew, to to hear means to obey. It's more like when, when your parent, in English, when your parent's like saying, listen to me, hear me, it's that kind of thing. It implies expectation of obedience. And so instead of listening to and obeying God, Adam and Eve trusted in the gifts that he provided to them to protect them from him. You see that? So then, in a cruel twist, 
The very, gifts God, the very gifts God gives us become the very means by which we keep Him away from us. So what does this look like? Maybe when we're in community, we seek the advice and input from the people around us instead of seeking what the Lord has already told us through prayer or through His Word. Hey man, this guy said something bad about me. What should I do? You shouldn't have to ask a friend that. He put it in black and white. Forgive your enemy and pray for them. Bless those that persecute you. Then you will be like your Father in heaven who sends his reign on the just and the unjust alike. Or maybe affirmation. When that approval from people becomes so strong, we're willing to abandon biblical truth for the approval of people around us. Just to hear the people around us say, hey, that was cool. We become so afraid of becoming unpopular or being canceled by someone or cut out of someone's life for being toxic. That we're afraid to speak truth. Worship, where you get so zeroed in on the execution of a song or the atmosphere that's created, instead of coming in with actual worshiping hearts, where we are humbled and prepared to meet with Jesus regardless of the circumstances. I don't like that song. I don't like the way they sang that. I can't worship. I think you've kind of missed the point. Y'all still with me? Or prayer. We'll make passionate, flowery prayers to look good in front of others. Or maybe just to look good in front of ourselves. I think Jesus covered this. Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, don't pray as the hypocrites do. We stand on street corners and make elaborate prayers. Go into your closet where no one can see you. And your father, who is in secret, will hear what is said in secret. Yeah? And so we take the gifts of God, community, to shut out his voice. We take the gift of affirmation, something that encourages us. And we use it to reject truth. We take worship and make it a prideful thing, as if we know when God can move and when he can't. And then worst of all, we take prayer, that precious connection with you and your creator, and we destroy all of its power and purpose by making it about us. You ever, uh, you ever have a friend that couldn't stop talking about themselves? Maybe a preacher that has a microphone in his hand right now? How much time did you want to spend with that person? How much time do you think God wants to spend with that person? 
Not much. Not much. And so when we take these gifts and we just we use them as weapons and we drive God away from our life. So we've taken some, something that was meant as a provision. We allowed it to tempt us and turn it into a shelter to hide from God. That's tragic. It's tragic. But I don't want to end on a sour note. So how are things supposed to work? What was the ideal that God had in mind when he gave us these provisions, when he provided blessing for us? We have to look no further than the cross. The cross is the ultimate tree. It's provision of God to provide shelter from temptation. Do you see that? It is the provision of God to provide shelter from temptation. When you are tempted to use the gifts of God for your selfish gain, you have only to look at the cross of Christ and see his body hanging from it to know the cost of the choice you're about to make. And if that does not provide you shelter from temptation, nothing will. You have only to look at your loving Savior who suffered for you to provide blessing for you. You see that? Does that get anyone out of bed in the morning? I mean, come on. And then under the shelter of his cross, under the shelter of his tree, we can begin to use gifts how they were intended. Let's have the worship team come up. Then we can use the provision that God has provided for us to be a blessing to those around us. All of a sudden, we become a community where people will feel like they belong and are loved because we are pursuing our Father together, which is the very thing we're designed to do. It's not enough just to have people love one another, but we must love God as well. It's great to invite people to something, but it has to be something worth being invited to. You can hang out and have a good time around Magic the Gathering, right? But it's the purpose that matters. The gift of approval means that you have brothers and sisters around you that are spurring you on to godliness. They're encouraging you and affirming you in those moments where you're weak. They're reinforcing the beauty in your life. They're calling out that Christ-likeness that they see in you. And all of a sudden, that gift of affirmation and approval becomes a blessing, and it makes you more Christ-like on the other side. 
and worship. Your life can become something that helps others see the worthiness of God. Like one of my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill, he says, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? And when we meet Jesus and when we we really submit to Jesus, when he becomes our king and our Lord, our life does become something that's worth Christ. Are y'all tracking? And then prayer. Prayer through Christ becomes so much more than just you talking about your problems to the wall. It can become a powerful intercession for friends or family or concerns that are so far beyond our reach and our scope. That through Christ, we can petition our Lord God to change things. Do you see that? And all of these things that can easily become temptations and shelters from God become assets for His kingdom. And all we have to do is come under the cross. So that's it. This whole semester, we've been talking about one central theme, and I don't know if y'all have noticed, but it's lordship. It's talking about how Jesus is your Lord, and all other things are unworthy. I want to challenge you to examine your life. Are you taking the gifts that God has given you and using them for yourself? Are you loving those gifts above your Father in heaven, the one that gave them to you? Are you using those gifts to drive him away from you? If so, get right with Jesus. He died on that cross for you because he thinks you're worth it. And the way that you become worth it is by following him. Amen? Let's pray.